0: our teaching series that we've been in these last several weeks that we entitled Playing with Dynamite. And we've been talking about, really, the explosive power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so this will be the final installment next week. uh, My son, uh, Clayton, uh, will be with us, the student ministries pastor at Free Chapel in Gainesville, Georgia. And whenever Clay is here, anyway, for those Clay's funny... He's got a tad bit of ADD, and if you believe in ADD, and uh, it's always, it's always a, a great time, so I encourage you to come out, especially young people. Um, he will definitely uh, communicate. He's just a great communicator, and uh, we're excited just because we get to see our, our son and daughter in love uh, and have all our children with us next week. It's, I, don't, I don't know how long it's been since we've had all of our kids together uh, under under one roof, at least a year, so for mom and dad, that's a big deal so we do whatever we can to get him here so he will be with us and we look forward to that but we'll be wrapping up this morning if you have your bibles you can go ahead and and turn with me to acts chapter 19 acts chapter 19 again i know i know we have a wonderful afternoon planned if you're if you're going out to the park we've been thinking about it preparing planning all week long my my vehicle is filled with items for minute to win it, and, and games, ball gloves, softball, bat, stu- junk stuff. I mean, I don't even know all the stuff that's in there anymore. Chairs. And so we've been thinking about this all week long. And, and you know, when you want to do something fun like that, it's hard to, to retain your focus for a moment or two, but I, I'm going to ask you, I promise you, you know, we already we've already lived through the rapture, the potential rapture, so so Jesus will not be coming. He will not, you know. So, so, so the the park day will happen. But let's keep our focus. Can we? Can we? Let's say for just thirty five minutes tops. Just keep our focus, and and let's honor God. And, and and I promise you that He's given us a delightful day, and and we're going to have a wonderful afternoon. But there's a couple of things that we just want to sow into you before we head out to the park. It's in Acts 19. I'm going to read seven verses to you. It's it's called the Ephesian Revival. In fact, I actually entitled the message, The Need for an Ephesian Revival. And in Acts 19, let's just get started. Beginning with verse 1, we read, And it happened, while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. I like that word because they just weren't believers. Believers. A lot of people believed they were disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. So he meets these disciples, and, and they had done what we saw completed out here this morning. Verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. The need For an Ephesian revival. And I will make mention of several things that happened here in this chapter probably through about verse 20. Now, the reason I wanted to end here was because I believe that this account of what would become the revival in Ephesus is really a prophetic picture of what God would like to do in America. And let's just make it a little more personal. What God would really like to do in Charleston, South Carolina. Ephesus was a port city. I hope that grabs your attention. It was of notable size. It would be, in many ways, a lot like us. It would have the same population uh, uh, density, the same population numbers. It was, at the time, a thriving center of commerce. There was great pluralism that took place there. Some of that pluralism would have been evil and occultic. We'll mention that in just a moment. But they also had great wealth because of the goods that would be uh, transferred through Ephesus. There was great debauchery as well. It had in its city limits one of the seven seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Diana or the Temple of Artemis. Both of those are interchangeable words. And uh, there was a great statue out front of Artemis. There was a a, a great uh, place. In fact, I was reading about it. I just got a new book with regards to the church at Ephesus and i was reading through it about how there were so many pagan temples schools of philosophy it was just a, a melting pot of all sorts of of both wicked as well as worldly philosophies that that seemed to just meld together in one place and and probably it was most uh recognized by this great wonder of the world the temple of Diana. The temple of Diana was actually a fertility cult. Now, if you don't know what a fertility cult is, that's probably to your benefit because it was largely obsessed with sex. In fact, everything that surrounded their worship had to do with almost every form of deviant sexual expression imaginable. However, Paul, as he goes to this port city, upon his arrival, it says that he finds some disciples there. In fact, the word clearly indicates that that these weren't, you know, sort of uh, seeking believers. These weren't Jews that had yet to be converted, but they were really Christians. They'd been baptized on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And ironically, or you might even call it providentially, he met 12 of them. Isn't that interesting? 12. Now, I personally like Paul's boldness. You know, Trey shared this morning at prayer time about beginning to pray again for the spirit of boldness. Well, Paul had it here in Acts 19. There was, there was not this ecumenical spirit that was going on here. He didn't just embrace them. You know, if you think about what we would have done today and we would have found these believers, of course, we would have embraced them and probably said, oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, here in this, this gross, debauched city. We found some, some believers. Praise God, there's believers here in the midst of all of this worldliness. That's probably what we would have done. But not Paul. Paul meets these people and the first thing he says is, do you have the Holy Ghost? Isn't that cool? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And their answer was to him, we have not even heard that there was a Holy Spirit. The great revival at Ephesus began with a discussion about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Can I just say, I don't believe we can talk about revival in our city I don't think we can talk about revival in our region or even in our nation unless we start in our churches having a discussion about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Do we think revival is going to come on the wings of our current, well, let's just not talk about anything controversial Let's just not say anything that could alienate anybody and let's just, let's just grind our doctrine down to the lowest common denominator and we'll tell them that we, we believe in the Bible and we believe in God and, and you need to come to terms with Jesus and that's just about it. And let's just grind it down to the lowest possible denominator. Let's just make sure everybody's accommodated in their theology. Let's not say anything too controversial. And somehow or another, we think revival is going to come on the wings of that. I think Satan fears this discussion. I think he fears a discussion about the Holy Spirit more than any other because it opens up the floodgates of the power of God. There will never be revival. Quote me on this. Write it down on your piece of paper. Post it on Facebook. Quote me on this. There will never be a revival until the church decides to have a talk about the Holy Spirit. Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? You see, we're living in a generation of believers. Now, you heard what I said. I believe that they're believers who go to church regularly, but they're much like the Ephesians 12. They don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. They never hear it taught at their church. They never see an expression of Him on occasion. The next generation of ministers... And can I just say this to all of us here? The next generation of our sons and daughters know so very little about the Holy Spirit. I have a personal theory on all of this. I believe that for many of us who have experienced the things of the Spirit... Now, I realize this doesn't doesn't mean everybody in the room, but for some of us, we've got decades in this this type circle, sort of a a charismatic, Pentecostal, full gospel circle. And, And for those of us that have been in these circles and have experienced the things of the Spirit, I believe all of us probably had hopes that our kids and the next generation would instantly embrace what we found. However... This is what my theory is. Because of the moral failures of both the leaders, the pastors, and even the parents, the silliness, the carnival atmosphere, the hypocrisies, the inconsistencies of the last 30 years, they've watched what we've what we've said, and and they've watched how we've walked, and they've decided to walk away. The next generation. Has seen and heard some pretty crazy stuff. They can smell the fake. They can smell the fabricated. They can smell the phony. They have seen the self-absorption and the self-centeredness of our preaching and our believing, and they decided to find something that was going to be different. And so they they, they gravitated to the cool, and they gravitated to the trendy, and to the hip. And again, it's no 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 offense. I believe I'm not. This is not offensive. I believe. I, you know there are warm-hearted believers in every single denomination. So understand, my, my scope of the kingdom of God is broad. I understand believers in every denomination, but it's kind of like this, this, this sort of neo, neo uh, Baptist, neo evangelical kind of this, this neo hip trendy cool thing, and they just decided they just moved to that. Now can I just say I, I, again, no offense, because you see us here, we. We use contemporary music, we have technology. I'd like to think that I'm not a dinosaur and that I'm, I'm relevant on occasion. I like creativity, I like things to be orderly, smooth, organized, slick. But folks, we can have all of these things and it's meaningless unless there's power. I mean, I mean this can hide lack of power. And you're better off with none of this and power, than all of this and no Holy Ghost. You're following me. But But because the slick and the trendy and the cool seem to grow so quickly, we automatically assume that it must be God. So church is no longer about fasting and praying and intercession and confession and worship and preaching, which... All solicit the presence of the Holy Spirit, but rather it has become, what is the world doing out there? And let's just emulate it. If the world doesn't at the North Charleston Coliseum, then let's just bring it in here so we can let everyone know we're just as trendy as the North Charleston Coliseum. Can I just say that you can go to an event there, but you won't be set free? You gotta find where God's moving, where His Spirit manifests, and there you'll find freedom, see? So you can be cool and you can be bound. Or or you can be bold and you can be free. Come on, we got to get past the place where we try to be trendy and let's somehow slip a little Jesus in on him. Listen, if you don't, if you don't know Jesus and you don't have the fullness of the Spirit working in your life, you are at a distinct disadvantage walking victoriously in this world. And the next generation, our sons and our daughters. I'm not I'm not saying, that, that don't take it too personal, but I'm saying generally, our sons and our daughters know precious little about the ways of the Holy Spirit. But what hit Ephesus, it's interesting, was not a wave of the trendy, but it was this move of the Holy Spirit. Miracles of unprecedented proportion broke out there in this heavily bound, debauched, crazy, weird city. I mean, just go down, if you can go down real quick. In verse 11, it says here that God was doing unusual miracles. Now, now miracle, can I just say, um, most miracles are unusual. But then if you put the adjective in front of it that says that they're even more unusual, well, what could that be? Well, it says in verse 12 that Paul's laying hands on handkerchiefs and aprons and that they were being taken from him and they were being laid on people, and they were being healed, or the evil spirits were driven out of them. is that not amazing? It's just if someone would give you a hanky, and you lay hands on the hanky, and they put the hanky on someone on down the road, and an anointing would stay and do that. that that's amazing. It says in verse 13 that there were these itinerant Jewish exorcists who were trying to set people free. And so they saw the success that Paul was having, and so they decided instead of getting right with God, they would just link on the technique. There's such a message there. Because today in our churches, instead of getting a word from God and instead of getting right with God, we go to the next conference in order to pick up a technique that we can hijack, bring it to our own, in order that somehow we can get the same results that they got. And ain't nobody seeking God. And that's exactly what these Jewish exorcists were doing. They were saying, Well, look what Paul's doing. Works for him. We'll just, we'll, just, we'll just modify this and put it into our own ministry. And that's the story about how they said they came to these seven sons of Sceva and they started trying to deliver them. And what they said was, in the name of Jesus of whom Paul preaches, come out of him. Now I know you're laughing because you know you're in trouble. When the only authority you got is, 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 who you know, his authority. And it says here that the evil spirit manifests, and this is what the devil said. He said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And it says that he jumped on these guys, these exorcists, really ripping their clothes off, and they ran out of the place naked as a jaybird. That's wild, isn't it? Verse 18, it says in this Ephesian revival that many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. There was public repentance that was taking place. Amazing. Verse 19, it says, they also brought their magic books, burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. The the magic books in those days were very expensive, and and some have calculated that the value of those books was anywhere between seven and eight million dollars. Now, listen, I'm going to stop here just for a minute. They had a book burning, I will just stop there for just a minute. They had a book burning. Now I understand here in America to to even to even consider this happening. Can you imagine? Could you imagine having the type of cable news media we have today? Imagine what would happen if out here at the Ashley Landing parking lot I were to look at you and say let's bring let's bring in all our heathen occultic books and activities and we're just going to have a big old burning. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Not only would you imagine it from the world, could you imagine what the church would say? And it all led, it said, to verse 20. It says, so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. And prevailed. It's interesting. One of the stories, because I like reading all those old secular historians, even of that era, tells the story, I think I've probably told this before, that John was located there as well in the city of Ephesus. And he was standing out in front of the temple of Diana before the statue of Artemis. And uh, he was preaching the gospel, and people were uh, 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 dogging him, deriding him, uh, you know, challenging him. Just it was just a difficult, difficult spot you could imagine in front of a pagan temple. And so he stops and he begins to pray that God would manifest His power amongst them. And according to a secular historian, again I believe it was Tacitus, if I'm not mistaken, a secular historian writes. He says, suddenly a cloud appeared and lightning came from the cloud, striking the statue of Artemis and splitting it in two. And then he writes, this is in a secular history book, it said, and many were converted that day. I thought to myself, I'll bet. I'll bet. The church at Ephesus started with these 12 that Paul runs into. But it was estimated in the midst of the revival there that there were over 50,000 believers that came into the kingdom in this Ephesian revival in a city of 250,000. That took three years. One-fifth, at least one-fifth to one-quarter of the city confessed faith in Jesus Christ. Now let me just say this because I can say it right up front. God's not against big. There's nothing wrong with big. And there's nothing necessarily holy with small. I believe that there are all sorts of verses you can use for mega works. But a mega work is only as good as the power of the Holy Spirit is moving. See, See it's not about how big the work is. It's, it's about how much influence in the city you have. It's about whether you can split statues or not. But here we are a generation later. If I were to tell you about Ephesus a generation later. Because Paul wrote, as you recall, in the Bible, there's a letter to the Ephesians. And then he writes both to Timothy in Timothy 1 and Timothy 2. And Paul has to tell them, it's interesting, in Ephesians 4, verse 30, he writes, almost a generation later, he writes, don't quench the Holy Spirit. Isn't that interesting? Here's a, here's a work that began in the fires of the moving of God. But now now, just a, a few years later, he's telling them not to quench the Holy Spirit. In fact, he'll tell Timothy later that he's going that he's going to have to deal with certain areas with regards to deceptions. And then in the book of the Revelation, when John writes to the church at Ephesus, he tells them that they have lost their first love. And I have often, and I've listened to many a sermon from many a person about what losing your first love was all about. And and probably all of them are valid to some extent because they're all tied together. But I'm wondering, seeing how powerfully the Holy Spirit moved in the initial days in the revival at Ephesus, I now wonder if the first love was the fact that they had suddenly lost their taste for the moving of the Spirit in their midst. Something to think about. But the bottom line is this, that they were losing in the next generation. They were losing with their sons and their daughters what had opened a city for them now I want to ask you several things. why do we think that some things are passe? Why are we embarrassed by the Holy Spirit? Why is it that you and I whenever it comes to spirit-filled activity, we're always we're always just a little timid. I mean it's not that Christianity isn't accepted and that if we shared that we are a believer that, that you know that might somebody may make fun of that, but if they found out we were a spirit believer. Oh, sweet Jesus. There's, there's something about that that's just that just seems to have a stigma attached to it. But, but, but Ephesus spoke to me about how the only thing that's going to take cities are those that are willing to have the discussion about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. And it's made me ask myself a question. And that is, as a parent and as a pastor. What am I going to do to make sure, in as much as I have the ability to do it, that my kids and that the next generation do not lose the revelation, the power, or the need for a spirit-filled life? This is not optional equipment. What about you? Have you strategized in your mind with the next generation that's at your fingertips, what you're going to do to pass along the legacy of not, not just anemic, powerless, cultural Christianity, but what are you going to release to the next generation about whimsome, powerful, miraculous, spirit-filled living? Who will bear witness to these things? Well, I've come up with three things, and this is what I'm going to leave you with, and we're going to end in plenty of time. How can we help facilitate that Acts 19 revival? Number one, write this down. I believe you can implement this in your household. You need to live your spirit-filled life unapologetically. It amazes me how Paul was so upfront and center about the need for the fullness of the spirit. There was no embarrassment. There was no reluctance. There was no timidity. Can you even envision that in our church culture today? Paul Paul wouldn't make it in most of our churches today. He wouldn't make it in our frightened American church culture. We don't want, we don't want anybody to know the, 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 you know, the other stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll let them know somewhere along the line. They'll trip into it somewhere. No, I, they're only going to trip into it if we put it out there for them to trip on. And I wasn't joking the other day. Last week I kind of got excited and... I've been known to do that on occasion. And I told you how I was opening the can. But I wasn't joking about the need for a repentance tour. The pulpits of America, the pastors of America need to stand up and say, I repent, Holy Spirit, for pushing you out of my life, for pushing you out of our services, and treating you like a weird uncle that we're going to keep in the closet somewhere and will only say yes to you. When it seems to be convenient or someone thinks we're, you know, somehow we're not orthodox. Is it any wonder the church is bound? Is it any wonder that we're sick? Is it any wonder that we're powerless? Is it any wonder that we've got pastors who are falling left and right? And, and then, I, you know, I, I'm, I know because if pastors are challenged and struggling, what must be going on in the fields of our congregation? Is it any wonder... When the next generation, who I'm not saying is perfect, they have their own issues, but they're looking for the real deal. They're looking, they're looking for something credible. They're looking for power. They want to see something that has some sense of credibility and consistency to it. And it is time we stepped up, gave our whole lives over to the fullness of the Spirit, and let Him work on us with our character and let Him work through us with His power. Amen. I don't apologize for that. If people ask, what kind of church are you? I used to years ago. Now, this was years ago. I used to try to figure out how can I tell them where to do And I just say, forget it. We are. We are Pentecostal in our orientation. We are. We are. Come on. And I know some of them will go, well, that's your loss. It's your loss. You got We got to live unapologetically because I'm telling you, it's the power of the spirit that gives us effectiveness in the world. Number two, number two, you got to testify and honor the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. I was telling the guys the other day, I was visiting with some of the men in my office and I was telling them, I said, guys, you need to get ready. And now I'm telling you all, you need to get ready to testify to the work of the Holy Spirit in particular. More and more believers, now they're Christian people. I'm not saying they're not Christian, they're Christian people. Christians are feeling powerless. You, you run into them at work. They love the Lord. They'll tell you they love the Lord. They, 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 they go to church. They, they, they do many things that are good to do. And they'll look at you around a water fountain or at a break time or over your lunch. And they'll look at you and they'll say, You know, I, I serve the Lord, but I, I feel defeated. I feel powerless. I feel helpless. I don't understand what's going in my life. And can I just share this with you? It is time we, we quit going na, 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 and passed the salt. And we looked and said, like Paul did, have you have you received the fullness of the Holy Spirit yet? There's some evangelization with regards to the fullness of the Spirit that could take place in the church. Have you received the Holy Spirit? And you know what? I'll be willing to bet if I were a betting man. I'll bet some of them will look and say, I had not even heard there was a Holy Spirit. And it's true. They've been to church, but they've never heard that there was a Holy Spirit. And folks, that's 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 the missing, sometimes X factor in a believer's life, I believe, is that is that the baptism with the Holy Spirit gives us power to do what these guys did in the book of Acts. I'm going to say this. I said it one time before I'll say it again. I figure if I said it once, I'm okay to say it again. (sighs) There was an article that was written in the Charisma magazine just several months. I think it was at the beginning of the year. I'll just say it out loud because it went all over the nation. And And the title of the article was how to be charismatic without being crazy. Can I just share this? You can't read through the Bible and it not sound crazy. Now, now I, I believe that, that we need to be charismatic without being carnal. But, the, but there are going to be aspects of our life. Every time I every time I write off a, a tithe check, I, the world thinks that's crazy. Do you know there are people just by me praying, they're going to think I'm crazy. Witnessing, they think I'm crazy. Listen, I keep talking about the lowest level stuff and people are going to think it's crazy. And, and many of you know, I, I wrote an article in response to that that was published in that national magazine as well. And and because, because you see, we're trying to find ways to avoid the stigma. You know, here's where I am. This is the good news. Just embrace it. Just like a Christian embraces the cross. And if the cross alienates somebody, don't try to hide it. Embrace it. Don't be ashamed of it. Honor it. Declare it. When they look at you and they say, you're one of those? Yes! Yes, I am! And they may roll their eyes and they may think you've lost your mind and they may go another direction, but I'll guarantee you when they're sick and they're in the hospital and the doctor says cancer and they've only got six months to live, they ain't calling their anemic friends. They're calling the tongue talkers. I've seen it so many times, I can't even count them. They know, they know who to call. I won't call. Uh, they were weird, but they get a hold of God. I don't know what you're saying, but do some of that shabba for me. Well, how will they ever call you if they never know? Testify and honor the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm not ashamed of Him. Just as you don't want your pastor to be ashamed of him and put him in a put him in a closet, you know, so he never shows up to mess up the order of worship. Just as you don't want your pastor to do that. You don't do that. You don't, you don't compartmentalize him to another aspect of your life. Don't you put him in your own personal closets and 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 suddenly, you know, one day after working with somebody for four or five years, you figure out you're both believers. I mean, this is crazy. And you're both spirit-filled believers. Testify, honor the work of the Holy Spirit. I'll say it again. Get ready. Christians. Christians will come to you. And they will say, why do you have joy? Why do you have your peace? Well, well, I'll just tell you why. I pray every day in the Spirit. Every day I pray in the Spirit. And they'll say, what's that? Well, it's tongues. And they'll go, really? Yep yep and, and 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 they'll go well i don't know about that well then go ahead and keep your upheaval keep your confusion keep your defeat keep your powerlessness go ahead it doesn't bother me any doesn't bother me a bit number three and we're just about done this is it everyone say pastor's gonna do it he's actually gonna stop in good <laughs> order Miracle, hey, it's the Holy Ghost, it's the Holy Ghost, that's right, miracles. I'm going to let you get away with that this Sunday. Number three, come on now, mentor and disciple the place of the Holy Spirit in your life. What are we going to do and what are you going to do to bear witness to this truth? See, see, we tell our kids now. I, I realize people, people already think I'm a nutcase, so I'm going to tell you what we do, and you're going to walk away, and, and many of you will just say, mm. but I'll just tell you what we do. We tell our kids when it's time to marry, when you're looking for someone to marry, your spouse needs to have their prayer language. Now that's revelation to some. I suspect say, why would you do that? Because the Bible says that they aren't to be unequally yoked. I know. I know people think we're nuts. Well, they're still a believer. Yeah, they're they're, they're about, you know, twice a year believer at the house of God. And they're, come on now. We missionary marry and we missionary date. And then we wonder why marriages fall apart. People think we're nuts. I tell you where Tracy and I are. We just look at each other and say, we're the only sane ones. Just embrace it. I'm just saying. Maybe I can't stop them. Maybe they'll do what they're going to do. Maybe they're going to make their own decisions. I understand sometimes you can't control all of those things. But I, I take serious this business about helping them make quality decisions. How do you do that, Pastor? Well, I poke them. And... And, and, and I say to them in, in situations like church, and I'm not kidding you, when my kids were, were, were growing up and, and they were standing beside me and we were going through worship time and my boys and my daughter had been probably like your children, they stood there and they've gone, you know, and, and we're just happy they're there. But that doesn't work in the Baird household. And I'll look at them and say, our household is spirit filled. Put your hands up. Put your hands up. And they'll say, well, I don't feel like putting my hands up. This isn't about how you feel. We don't worship God because we feel like it. I don't come to church because I feel like it. I'm here because I'm obedient. I lift my hands in the house of God. It's great when you feel like it. I mean, I'm not saying there ain't any feeling to it. I'm just saying sometimes I don't feel anything. And maybe that's the most important time to just lift your hands to the Lord. Come on, you're going to enter in when nobody else is doing it. I'm not everyone else's parent. I'm yours. Now you ask them, you get them off in a corner and you ask them if that's what didn't happen. And I guarantee you, if they were somewhere, I couldn't get a hold of them. I found them after service. You say, I can't believe you would do that. Yeah, I'm going to do it because I'm raising a generation that will honor God and the Holy Spirit. And if they choose, listen, and if they choose, if they choose to walk away, if they choose to walk away from the things of God, it will be over me gigging the fire out of them all the way. Why? Because I'm right. I'm right. Isn't that good to know? I'm right. Come on now, you make them do lots of things. You make, well, I hope you make them like brush their teeth and go to school and flush the toilet and No joke. Some of you would be more myopic and going uproar because they didn't flush your toilet than they would that they didn't lift their hands in the house of God. I'm getting to meddling now, and I'm ruining the picnic. Spiritual things are eternally more important. Listen, Tracy, I'm going to be done with this. Tracy and I paid a price. Some of you did, too. I know you did. We paid a price to minister the things of the spirit you got to understand, when all this started happening in our life, we were in a denominational setting, and they did not appreciate all of that. So I lost my church. Not only did I lose my church, I lost my retirement account. I want you to think about that. What, what are the things of the Spirit worth to you? Is it worth your 401k? Because I lost, I lost my retirement account. I lost the friends. Everybody that was stood with me in my wedding no longer will talk with me. Say, why won't they talk with you? Because I speak at times in another language and it ain't French. Hear me. Hear me out now. I lost a lot for the privilege of doing this. Because you know, there's some places you... You can't go, you can't do, I mean, you might be able to do this, but you do this. It cost me. When we sing in the Spirit as we do on occasion, it cost me to do that. When I pray in tongues or in the Spirit, it cost me. The manifest power of God manifesting, it cost me. And for some of you, it cost you too. But there is a generation, now listen to me, and I don't mean this in any mean-spirited way, just listen to me, but there's a generation, our kids. And, and you know what? We were happy as parents to provide them the atmosphere for them to do all of these things that we paid a price for. We, we were happy to provide them an atmosphere that they could step into and do all of these things Without paying a single price. They grew up with it. They're familiar with it. It's what they know as church now. But it has become negotiable with them. Why? Well, I personally think it's because it didn't cost them anything. They want the trendy. They want the glitzy. They want the cool. They want the hip. They want the slick. In part because they've seen us slip in our convictions. Can I just say... And there have been times I've struggled with this as well, but I am settled now. I am not giving up. I am not letting go. I am not backing up. I am not shutting up on this subject. I'm not hiding my spirit-filled existence. We are a spirit-filled church. We're not doing this just so we can fill another seat or two and feel better about ourselves. It's not about our self-esteem. It's about the honoring of God. And we are, we, listen, you've got more with three, four people filled with the Holy Ghost. You get 12 filled with the Holy Ghost and you'll take a city. You'll take a city. Yes, you will. The Holy Spirit is not the problem. He is the answer. He is the answer. I flew to New Orleans. All the music people come real quick. Fast, fast, fast. Quick, fast, and in a hurry. Flew into New Orleans just a week or so ago. And I was there right when right when they were opening up all the levees on the Mississippi River, and I watched all the water sweep in to these these areas and they have to do this because because the levees will will help control mediocre flooding, but when it comes to gigantic flooding that they, they can't control it, so in order to keep them from wiping out cities, they have to choose where they're going to flood, and so they opened up. Opened up spillways and levees and all those things. And I got a picture just as as we're going to worship. In fact, why don't we all stand? We're just going to worship. I'm going to pray. And then we're gone.